Welcome to the Talks on Law California MCLE podcast, interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now for the interview. Welcome back to part two of our interview on fighting sex trafficking with Attorney General Sean Reyes. If you didn't catch part one, that might be the place to start. In part two, Sean will discuss some actual cases and share more insights into the steps, the procedures, the surveillance that goes into fighting sex trafficking. And now, back to the interview. You're charged with enforcing the laws of Utah. Correct. Can you share with us an example where you actually went out and went toe-to-toe with a trafficking organization? Sure, and, and we have many currently under investigation, which I can't talk about, but those that have concluded, I'd be happy to share with you. Here's one example. Early into my administration, we got a tip that in um, Salt Lake County, on a relatively quiet side, on the west side of Salt Lake County, um, there was a, uh, a trafficking ring involving a notorious um, gang member, an MS-13 leader mm. from Central America who was allegedly abusing little boys, some that he had brought from Central America, mostly little boys in their own homes throughout this little um, community in Salt Lake. So we get a tip that this is all going on. And again, the, the first reaction so I'm kind of new to this. I'd seen the movie Taken, and that was sort of my exposure to human trafficking. And I'm not, I think that's actually been a good thing. The Liam Neeson um, films, it's started to wake people up. Maybe, to the horror that's out the, there? Yeah, and to the reality. I mean, it's not totally um, out of the realm of reality. Some of, I mean, some of the car chases and things <laughs> might be, but the, the underlying premise is not. It sounds so crazy. That's kind of all that was going through my mind at first, but fortunately we looked at it. We found out that it was credible evidence. The person who gave us the tip was willing to wear a wire. That's brave. Um, it was brave, even more brave, because this person was un- of undocumented status. One of the reasons they didn't want to come forward in the first place was because they were worried about what we might do and action we might take. And we had told them, look, we can, we can have a debate about immigration policy <laughs> in, in other fora. All we care about is protecting you and the community and getting rid of these folks come forward and work with us and your, you know, your status, we promise, would not be an issue. And so with that cooperation, we were able to get the evidence to, to arrest um, an individual named Victor Rax. And um, when we did, it was interesting because we heard from other federal agencies that they had arrested Rax before, but they'd never been able to make a case against him. Victims seemed unwilling to come forward um, against him, and so they had deported him. Not once or twice or three times. They deported him seven times. He keeps coming back. He just keeps coming back. And the different locations are always to Utah. Interestingly, um, through different locations, but his home base was there on the west side of Salt Lake City. And people knew that he was coming back. So, of course, nobody would testify. If you think, why am I going to testify? All they're going to do is deport him, and then he's going to come back and knock on my parents' door or shoot my other dog um, or do something else more heinous. This time we asked our federal counterparts, instead of deporting him, would you defer deportation and allow us to prosecute him under 
um, the U.S. criminal justice system under Utah laws or federal laws, either one, and they deferred to us to prosecute the case and deferred deportation. And now because we were confident that we would be able to put him away for hopefully multiple consecutive life sentences. So this trial is still... Nope, the trial's done. The trial's done. So that's why I'm able to talk about it. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, I'll try to cut to the, to the chase. Um, I think Rax understood the weight of the evidence that now was coming forward because we had at least 40 victims when we filed our information, when we filed our charging These were documents. all sexual These were charges. all sexual charges. These were now grown men who you know, were in their mid to late 20s who for the previous 15 years had been victims uh, since they were adolescents of this man. He, we also had other charges. He, he was notorious as a um, narco trafficker. So he would smuggle drugs in, rape little boys, and then force them to mule his drugs into not just high schools and junior high schools, but even elementary schools in the state of Utah. One really bad, bad guy. I won't even say human being because it's you know, maybe too generous. And so understanding that, he hung himself in a jail pending oh the trial. So that um, ended the case mostly. But here's an interesting twist. My prosecutors and I asked the judge for leave to keep the case open so the victims could come forward and testify because they were distraught. For they, closure they, purposes. For closure, exactly. They wanted to confront their tormentor, and they also wanted to give, they wanted to give their stories um, or at least put them out there and, hmm. and have a chance for others to, to hear that and so they could start to put the pieces of their lives back together again. So it was interesting because defense counsel said, um, Your Honor, this is really <laughs> unorthodox. We don't even have a client. He's dead. Case should be over. Once again, we want to set a precedent for victim-oriented um, processes that will help victims. And really, if it takes two days of the court's time, we had a very enlightened judge um, who understood what we were trying to do. And even though I had told the victims, in some ways, this is great closure because he'll never come back now, no matter what. There's no you know, loophole in the law or anything to ever allow him to He's come back. He's not going to be haunt deported. He's, He's not, not going to be deported back. and come back. And, and even yet, they were still disappointed because they wanted the chance to be able to confront him. And so this way, it was quite cathartic for them. And for many of them, it began the process so they could start to heal. But to see um, some pretty tough um, grown men shedding tears about the years and years of torture and terroristic tactics that he used against them and their families, I mean, it was, it was moving, I think, for everybody. And I, you know, afterwards, uh, no one uh, begrudged us for doing what we what we did. But we fortunately have had a very bipartisan support in passing very good laws to give more teeth to the prosecution side in trafficking cases, but also to protect victims. For teeth, are we end. talking about upping the punishment, upping the jail sentence, upping the penalties? We're talking about clarifying the standards to make it easier to prosecute under trafficking. We're talking about enhancements, which is what you're mentioning. Um, many of the federal laws that have been passed have been about enhancements and about being able to add um, you know, more time to um, sentences 
if trafficking is, is really at play. Um, and then on the backside, again, getting victims into a good spot. For instance, one of the laws that I'm very proud of that our office was able to champion along with others in the legislature, and that's diverting child victims. If Let's say we've busted a ring and we find out that we have uh, minors who have been involved in this you know, selling of sex. Historically, they would often end up on the delinquency side of the juvenile justice system. Delinquency is sort of when you think, man, these kids are not going to get reformed and they're treated like adults. So they're, they're put treated, in a detention. They're or... put in the, on the punishment side of, often we take children on the, uh, on the other side if they're abused or abandoned or uh, somehow needing resources. We take them out of a, a home. They're not on the delinquency side and they come on the other side of the juvenile justice system. And, Is that uh, more like the foster system? Or it can include foster care. It can include um, social worker, help. Other, other types of, of help. And, um, you know, so in neglect and abuse situations, we're very eager to get them resources. Well, why the heck would we put child victims of People human trafficking? People the worst imaginable and then... On the delinquency side and tell them that it's their fault for being victims when really they should be on the other side. They're, they're the quintessential victims of abuse and neglect, and, um, and we need to get them the resources. So just th- those types of simple modifications. But there may be more, may require funding up front. I mean, it, it's expensive to punish people, it but is. it may require some additional funding sure. it, in order know, to it, it do does. some healing. It's, 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 not, um, it, it's not without cost. Um, creating a sanctuary, a safe place for them to be. The, there are costs associated with that. There are very good models, though, out there amongst many of the states. You know, Texas comes to mind where they have a lot of really good public-private partnerships. So it's not incumbent only on government to come up with the resources. We say, hey, let's create a sanctuary and, and operate it together, um, donated the land donated by a private foundation, the personnel run and hired by another foundation, everybody contributing their expertise together and melding them into a very coherent ecosystem of healing. And so some of it, it's educating yourselves. Um, and then it's, you know, electing people who will, um, you know, regardless of party affiliation, who will be supportive of victim-centered, um, m- maybe in some ways even revolutionary kinds of thinking in terms of criminal justice to help us fight through this, and then being supportive of law enforcement, being supportive of the government when they put assets into um, these investigations. They're very difficult investigations. Often one agency is not enough. It doesn't have enough assets on its own. What's difficult in the sense that it's not something that perhaps one police officer alone can can fully uh, see the scope of, It's difficult in which ways? Um, Just to surveil, let's say many of the human trafficking cases deal with a a false front for a business, right? So a massage parlor that's not really a massage parlor. Um, There are really women in there. Johns go in and they don't get, you know, a, a regular massage. They get sex or other types of sexual activity for money. And it's a but, but it's a pretty easy front to put up because it's difficult unless you've got cameras inside, 
And so you have to do a lot of investigating. You have to cultivate um, CIs, confidential informants. You have to work your way up. And then if you do take something down, you don't want to just take down the, the lowest level. You want to be able to work your way up. Maybe and so, there are language issues involved. Often there are language issues. International dynamics. One interesting thing about Salt Lake in Utah, we are so fortunate because we have when we have victims from different parts of the world, you've got like thousands of returned LDS Mormon missionaries who've served in all these different parts <laughs> of the world. They've learned the language. They've learned the language, <laughs> and they've come in volunteers. So I give a lot of credit to the LDS church who've given assets and resources because we have other states calling us like, we have, I mean, we don't even know what this language is. How are you guys dealing with that? And sometimes we'll even try to sort of export our assets out to, to other agencies. I know New York City is very good at having a lot of translators. That's very interesting to, to hear how the, the local religious fabric has created in an in inadvertent sense this great resource in, right. when it comes to translators. Right. It, 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 it's, you know, it's a benefit to have that. It's a luxury, in fact, to have that resource. But it just underscores, again, the difficulty of investigating the cases, and then prosecuting the cases. There are not many prosecutors out there who've prosecuted human trafficking cases. And again, in my state, fortunately, the legislature had the vision to create a statewide task force that is under my aegis in the AG's office that can call upon assets from pretty much every federal, state, county, and city law enforcement agency in Utah. And of course, you have to have buy-in from the leaders of all of those agencies, but we're talking about treating victims differently. They shouldn't be seen as criminals by the, by the, the justice system. And in fact, there's, a, there's an official safe harbor in yeah, Utah. Utah passed safe harbor laws for minors. What is so a safe harbor? Safe harbor allows them to be immune from prosecution um, even if they were involved in the whole criminal enterprise of sex trafficking or you know, prostitution. Um, again, with the assumption that most, if not all, of those youth um, are, are victims that did not choose to get into that life. We're, we're working on expanding that to adults. And um, as, as it's structured in Utah, um, it's, uh, it's the first-time offense. So at least for your first time, you won't get prosecuted. After that, if you continue to return to it, then there's the possibility of prosecution. Prosecution is always discretionary with the prosecutor, but that's the notion of safe harbor laws, and if they've been well-received. Again, um, because it's not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue, it's a humanitarian issue, people have come together and said, that makes a lot of sense. And so that, that's also a part of why we made sure that those juveniles who don't get prosecuted but might need resources don't go into the delinquency side of the juvenile justice system, but they go into the abuse and neglect side so that they're automatically, again, branded victims. Um, and these may be individuals who are picked up in some type of uh, larger arrest or some type of, uh, yes. of a sting. Yes, that's often how we're able to, to liberate them. We, we get tips sometimes from friends of the victims saying, you need to check this out. I think my friend is being trafficked. And we will survey 
sometimes we'll set up the sting ourselves. We just did a recent one where we put a back page ad there. We, we ended up with 73 arrests. What's um, a, back, a back page ad? Um, you know, back page is a, um, is a forum to communicate all sorts of um, you know, productive and positive and legal types of things, but they have a section there that is pretty notoriously known for, uh, especially in the sex trafficking industry, for is this offering a, a web forum or something it's, like it's a Craigslist. It's like Craigslist, yeah, and exactly. And with the right code words, if you know what to look for, I mean, they're not most of the time. Occasionally, they are, and but, but it doesn't say come have sex with a thirteen-year-old. It'll it'll say something else. So this is like to catch a predator. Your 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 people are having to put themselves into the mindset of traffickers or of the Johns who are going after young people. That's right. And and actually, ironically, again, How to Catch a Predator was a very entertaining show, but uh, difficult for law enforcement because they gave up a lot of the <laughs> investigative techniques and secrets. You know, it's like giving a, an audience for a magic show. Here, here's all how, here's, the, how it's done. It sort of defeats purpose. More importantly, it gives the perpetrators um, an advantage because then they can avoid... Um, or they know what to look for. So they're always, I mean, they, they're very um, careful. Things like the dark net, which we probably don't have time to get into, that's a very, very dangerous environment. One that it's difficult for law enforcement to, to penetrate. And These are the kind of unseen back channels of the internet that right, sometimes right. you may need some authorization. Special access. It's rampant enough just on the regular internet that we haven't even had time or maybe the the political will yet to 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 put a lot of resources into the dark net. There are some units that we work with, but that is probably the worst um, in environment possible. You talk about the monsters of all monsters there. I mean, everything from you, you can buy pretty much anything illegal. Down there, I think initially it was created by some libertarian-minded folks to be a safe space where government couldn't penetrate and they could communicate freely. But quickly, it was exploited to where now you can buy um, illegal arms. You can buy literally illegal arms because of body parts that are being sold um, oh, there gosh. at the black market. You can buy malware and all sorts of other types of destructive devices to drop on your business competitor or somebody that you don't like. Um, and you can buy a lot of sex um, with kids or other um, perversions. Um, I mean, some of them are haunting. And um, the, the men that I work with and the women that I work with, we're very careful to make sure that they have regular psyche valves, that they have yeah, the support they need. Yeah, you have to take care of your, because your staff because they're having to immerse themselves into some pretty some of heavy the worst, stuff. Worse. And they kind of, you know, they, but they take great pride in, in fighting this evil and saying, kind of like the movie Men in Black, the average person doesn't want to know about this, doesn't want to have to deal with this, so we do, so that we can, so they don't have to. And there's a balance to that. On the other hand, I kind of want to shock people just enough. We don't have to get into the nitty-gritty and every detail of these horrendous um, and sick, sick cases that we deal with. You want to give one shocking example? Um, well, maybe this one's a, this is a, to me on the level of shock, this is very light. Um, we, we arrested a mother, I think a little over a year ago, who was creating um, child pornography with her nine-year-old daughter. And, and 
you know, purveying that, selling it internationally. And, and this is a special needs daughter. So disabled. Exploiting her disabled child sexually. To, to make money. And that's and on the light scale. That's on the light scale of things. And so, um, again, getting back to the, to, the, to the notion, though, of protecting these victims, I hope that other states, um, and, and many others have already, but there, there are a few that we need to encourage to take that, uh, that approach. And law enforcement has become better and better as, as we deal with more cases and more law enforcement leaders buy in to this. But we still have some reporters who are out there trying to um, trying to convince people that human trafficking doesn't exist, and it's this myth that's been perpetrated either by politicians to curry favor with the electorate or by law enforcement to I- enhance their tarnished image in, hmm. the, in the media. But I am deadly serious when I say it is no fiction. It is absolutely, positively a reality out there, and that I hope people will wake up and rally around and um, talk to their elected officials. Um, we, we have people in the faith community, pastors, rabbis, priests, helping us work together. We have people across business industries, anywhere from truckers against trafficking to... Um, truckers against trafficking. I mean, giant organizations like that. You know, the flight attendants actually were some of the very first, and they were the pioneers in this space. Because they were seeing it. Because they were seeing it happening. And by training them, they were our eyes and ears around. And um, I joke with the truckers that as long as the truckers themselves aren't the perpetrators, they're our best eyes and ears. And they get it because in any industry, there's some who will exploit. And And we do trainings with them. We do trainings with those in the entertainment world. All right, let's take a quick break. Again, for those who are listening for MC Lee credit, the code for this interview is 012417. 012-417. Back to the interview. At every big there- sporting event or major, you know, attraction type event, we work up um, in Utah with um, with Sundance to try to provide extra protection, not because there is any anything inherently bad about Sundance, and they're all it's a beautiful, wonderful, um, you know, bringing together of art and culture. I've been out to Sundance for the film festival. Thank you, thanks for coming <laughs> to to our state and supporting Sundance. It's a great brand, and I don't want to give even an iota of uh, of, of 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 the impression that we're I'm being critical at all of Sundance. The reality is whether it's Sundance or the Super Bowl or any other good positive. Um, event, you're going to attract people from all over the world, and there's going to be an environment where um, there's it, a lot of money. There's, there's a lot of money, and um, everybody's so kind of euphoric about the actual event that um, things can happen, and people may not question. It's just, um, it, it's, it's a fact that at these major events, um, the, the, the amount of trafficking and the money that they can charge say, to out-of-town guests who are coming um, to a Super Bowl, increases. So the demand is, is there. Mm. Um, and with that many travelers, people know, um, hey, I'm coming to that event. There's going to be some big parties, and we can kind of, again, hide in plain sight. People aren't going to notice a foreigner, uh, sorry, a foreigner just from another state there because there's so many different faces. Law enforcement's taxed. They're overburdened. 
because they're just trying to deal with all the regular maintenance of an event like that. Boom, perfect environment for, for the trafficking to occur. And, and I want to just go back to one other thing that we talked about, Joel. A lot of people, like myself, had the impression that trafficking was had to involve like an abduction and then some transportation across jurisdictional yeah, maybe lines. Maybe we can explain in. what is trafficking. Sure. It's simply put, depending on you know how your state articulates the the standard, you know, using force, fraud, or coercion to influence somebody to do something illegal. I mean, so again, it can be sex trafficking, it can be uh, you know labor exploitation trafficking, and that's why often we can um, we can um, prosecute under RICO federal RICO statute. I say we, the federal government, can or or we can in conjunction with the with our federal counterparts. Um, and so really using that standard, trafficking can be, going back to the example of the, the monster Victor Rax that I talked about earlier, in my city in, in the Salt Lake area, many of the victims that he had, young boys from the ages of 10 years old to all the way into their 20s, hmm. he sexually abused or allowed others to sexually abuse for money under force, fraud, or coercion, these, these young men would not, uh, they didn't dare say anything or do anything uh, in contravention of Rax's wishes. And, and so many of them were trafficked in their own homes, if you can believe how So they're not necessarily being brought, they're not being taken in this normal, traditional sense of trafficking right. from... El Salvador and brought here to be exploited. Right. These are people who are being exploited in their own homes, living with their own families. Living with their own families, often with their parents totally unaware. Hey, Is, because this guy, you know, I mean, perps are smart. They're not going to walk around with a shirt that says, you know, I'm a trafficker. They're going to be involved in some athletic events or activities. It could be a coach. So while they're trafficking, they're also coaching the local Boys team. I'm a, I'm a little league coach, so again, I'm not <laughs> trying to cast any aspersions on anybody who does that great volunteer work, but those are the types of devices that they use. They'll take something credible that will earn them trust with the families. So then all of a sudden, he's a coach, or he's Theo, he's uncle, right? He's part of the family, and they have no idea that while they're gone working two or three jobs trying to make ends meet, that he's exploiting their kids in their own home, in their bedrooms. It's so just, why isn't this just... Uh an egregious form of sexual assault. Where does trafficking even come into it if it's just the, the local pedophile, in a sense, sure. abusing children? Well, it's not, again, it can be that, but it's an enhancement of what we have traditionally um, known uh, as. So you can hit them with a little bit more. Hit them with more, absolutely, because they're using, uh, again, uh, force, fraud, or coercion to perpetrate those kinds of activities and it's not just see in this case it wasn't just the sexual assaults it's that he was selling mm. through either drugs or money the access to these young people for his cohorts to be able to have sex with them so it's not just the abuse alone you can use trafficking as an enhancement for there but it's also another avenue to be able to go after those who are buying the does the law access. does the law require that in in this case this individual racks that he was using 
telephone, that he was using email. Does it require that no that the the sale involved some means of communication, communication. federal not necessarily. No. If you have evidence and you can prove through eyewitnesses that this was occurring, it helps if you have documentation or if you have phone records or other types of things. Certainly every bit of evidence as a prosecutor you want to be able to to have, but it's not a prerequisite. It's, it's not a requirement. It's not part of the definition of the trafficking um, statute. Having read a little bit about prostitutes and pimps and the, mm-hmm. the treatment and the, the way that the control dynamic that's, that's sometimes a part of that. Absolutely. This is they a, can be hit. This is a great them. tool, a great tool to be able to cut through um, and, and, and really hit the, the pimps and the, the perps. Um, and so, again, I think that is a misperception so that people assume, oh, you're talking about trafficking. It has to be that abduction scenario. Don't get me wrong. There are adults and kids who are abducted. Some of the hyper-vulnerable populations include those who are homeless. And you had asked earlier, and I don't think, um, maybe it wasn't even on camera, what's the profile of the trafficker? And there are some sophisticated, organized crime uh, syndicates, organized crime organizations that are involved in trafficking. But by and large, from my experience, most of the traffickers are lower level kind of individuals who are a pimp or um, someone who will exploit a few individuals. There are, uh, like I said, some bigger networks. Sometimes it's even a family member. Just a family member who who's willing to make money. So this is a definition of trafficking. Uh, uh, one of the ways that when, when we have, in, in, you know, uh, let's say a sting, somebody contacts us, um, we've had agents posing as a parent saying, oh yeah, this, you know, once they get by the code words and they understand, sure, I have a daughter. I've you know, offered her before and, um, and they're great. Let's make contact and they come and we're able to arrest them. Um, solicitation and um, or under other charges but a parent who would do that is a trafficker Um, a a trusted um, person who exploits someone else um, for financial gain is a trafficker and there's there's again sundry ways that they can do it all sorts of horrible manifestations but at bottom um, if they're doing those things for financial gain they're they're trafficking. So, you know, people need to be just, again, aware and, um, and attentive. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share your insights, your experience. Thank you. Well, with your help and support, Joel, and again, for all of your, for all of your listeners and viewers, um, we really, if we work together and, um, you know, put aside any other philosophical, political differences um, or, or anything else, we can, we can make a difference in this um, fight, um, not just uh, in our own communities, um, but worldwide. And um, again, I'm, I'm optimistic we're going we're gonna to keep this fight up and uh, turn up the heat enough so one day, just like they said in Cartagena, <laughs> um, regardless of the community you're in around the world, they'll say you can't buy kids for sex here anymore. You can't buy uh, men or women for 
um, anything that they don't want to do voluntarily. And that's, that's my ambition, my hope, my dream. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash MCLE podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting-edge interviews on the California MCLE podcast.